is, if you haven't already picked it up, that we believe in a God who is real. Uh, He's not some sort of made-up person. And we believe that He's pursuing you and He's calling you and drawing you to, to Himself. And our greatest prayer is that you would encounter this God and we know that the only way that's possible is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would uh, ask those questions that's stirring in you. Uh, maybe talk to the friend who bought you this morning or maybe even chat to one of us after the service. Uh, we as a church have been going and exploring the life of Abraham and particularly uh, looking in the book of Genesis. And we're coming up to a pretty significant moment in the life of Abraham. So if you have a Bible, if you could turn to uh, Genesis 21, Genesis 21. If you don't know where that is, I'm sure your Bible app can pull that up for you or just turn to the person next to you. I'm sure they're more than happy to show you where to find that. As you're turning there, I just want you to know, in our preaching sort of um, series and as we were unpacking what um, passages to cover, and if those of you who are very diligent in reading the newsletter, which I'm sure there are many of you who do that, uh, on the side you would see Shabu, Genesis 21-22. We're not going to cover both chapters today. The reason for that is because there's a lot to cover, and I really didn't feel like we needed to rush through, particularly Genesis 21 and also 22. So we're going to park ourselves in Genesis 21 this morning. So with that in mind, let me read for us. Genesis 21, verses 1 to 7. Here is God's word. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah, did God, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before your throne this morning to come and ask, speak to us. No matter what season of life we're in, would you continue to reveal more of yourself to us? So I pray that any distractions that are going on in our hearts and minds and wills. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to submit them. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Through you alone, for your glory alone, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I do remember the day that my kids were born. I remember the day my eldest and my middle and my youngest were born. Uh, I remember the time going into, well, going not into, I was already there in the delivery room. I remember um, a lot of things. Uh, There are some images that are etched into my brain that I'll never get rid of, right? And if you've had a child, you know what I'm talking about, okay? But there is that moment I still remember holding my firstborn. I still remember, like, he wasn't one that came, you know, he didn't cry. He just did a little, eh, sound as Beck held him. I still remember looking at his big, dark eyes staring back at me as I held him for the first time. I remember the joy. I remember the tears welling up inside of me that 
sort of made me kind of go, oh, this is laughter happening and joy at the same time. Now, in the story of Abraham, as we've been tracking along with it, Abraham has been waiting for this moment for a very long time. And Sarah has been waiting as well. This is the moment that we heard of, that we've heard of since when we started the life of Abraham over and over again. The promise of a seed, the promise of a seed. This is that moment. Now, do you remember, though, as we just read this passage, Sarah speaks of her having laughter again. Do you remember the last time Sarah laughed? It was a few chapters earlier in Genesis 18, right? It was a different kind of laughter. Uh, it's the kind of laughter that you would probably say, it's a bit sarcastic. You know, God shows up, God speaks to Abraham, and actually says, this time next year, so it's 12 months, this is where the story picks up, uh, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a son, his name is going to be Isaac. And Sarah hears this and says, yeah, right. Do you know how old I am? Do you know how old Abraham is? It's physically impossible to have a child. It was the laughter of unbelief. And in this moment, we have a significant time or significant moment in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Laughter comes again. Uh, if you have a physical Bible, you will see that Isaac, his name, and you'll see a little number next to it, and you'll see a little footnote. What does this Isaac's name mean? Laughter. Right? It's a very play on words. It's a deliberate play on words. In this moment... Sarah herself is laughing with joy. It's a laughter of triumph. It's a laughter that says God has fulfilled his promises. It's a very different kind of laughter. It's a very significant moment because God has come through. It seems impossible and God has come through. Uh, last night, Beck and I had the great joy to go to an engagement party and we were talking to a friend of ours and she's about to head across to do missions across in, in Europe. And she was sharing with me about how uh, her husband's currently there because his visa's been approved while she, her visa hasn't been approved and so she has to wait here in Australia. And she said to me, there's moments where I'm just thinking to myself, this is not going to happen. This is impossible. God, are you really going to make this happen? And you know what? In the last moment, when it was kind of the cutoff date, it happened. And she said, this moment of joy filled her heart. See, for, for Sarah, it's like almost this moment being displayed to us in these pages. And it's easy for us, particularly in this side of the cross and the empty tomb, to kind of skim over this stuff. And I know that when we read something like, you know, Genesis 21, we flick a few chapters earlier, it's the story of Abraham. But you've got to remember, this is about 25 years later. It's a long time to be waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. And the purpose of this seed is not just for them. There's a bigger story that we'll cover in a second. That is for, out of this seed, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And what we're seeing displayed in front of us, friends, God has delivered just as he said he would. Did you pick up the word in there in those verses? Who said that? Who promised it? God did. Just as God promised. Just as God said it was going to happen. In that moment, we've got this wonderful display of someone receiving something that God said it would happen. And she is overjoyed. She is rejoicing. In the moment God spoke, 
as he said 12 months earlier, even much earlier to Abraham, and now it's in front of us to be displayed, to declare what God has done. God is the one who's done this. And all the glory should go to him. But it's interesting, right? As you continue to read the story, things are about to change pretty dramatically. As much as Sarah's been waiting for 12 months, excuse me for a moment while I get a drink from my wonderful, did you like this? My son, this is my favorite thing. World's coolest dad. It reminds me, anyway. What does that got to do with the sermon? Nothing. So God is the one who provides. God, God gives this child, Isaac, as he said he would. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. It's interesting, though, that who does um, Sarah give the credit to? Did you pick it up? In the verses? God said he would. God declared that he would do this. But there's this sort of play going on and where Sarah is not very clear. She can't even believe this is in front of her. I'll cover that in a second. And in verse 8, we'll see this played out. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day, and Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom he, she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son. The son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took the bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with her child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. You know, what I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't hide things. The Bible is very raw and very real. And maybe for some of us, when we um, kind of grow up in this Christian culture, we read these kind of passages and the temptation is to skim stuff. It's deliberately there to make a point to us. Maybe some of you are stirring and going, whoa, this sounds a bit unfair, doesn't it? Why is God allowing this to happen? And to kind of carry on a bit of the story, there's something really going on here. The, the reason why they're overjoyed, there's a reason why there's a celebration that Abraham has created this party to happen in that moment. You've got to remember, this is before GPs. Uh, this is before the maternal child health nurse who would come to your house. Uh, this is before, you know, a locum that will just visit because you've got issues going on. This is before all that time. So for a child to survive to the age of two or three that most commentators say this is what's going on with Isaac, it's a significant moment. And this is why they're celebrating. But Sarah's celebration turns sour very quickly. Uh, she notices someone. And the text actually talks about she notices another offspring, uh, a son to Abraham, uh, who's actually laughing. It's not the same kind of laugh of joy. Uh, it's the kind of laughter that says he's mocking. He's mocking Isaac. He's actually not showing any respect to the firstborn of Abraham. She's not happy. 
and she wants this to be dealt with very quickly. Uh, for her, there's a threat. Uh, this threat is this offspring who sticks around could claim right to be the firstborn. So she doesn't want to have that involvement at all, so she wants to get rid of him and her. And remember the language that Sarah uses? She can't even say their names. She says that slave woman. She can't even stand the sight of this woman and that son. But who was involved in ensuring this happened? Sarah was. Sarah told Abraham, go sleep with her. Sarah is the one who said, hey, listen, God is not going to come through. We need to sort this out ourselves. So the best thing for you to do is to sleep with our slave woman. That slave woman that was a, a, a prize, a gift to you as we were in Egypt. That slave, same slave woman. And now this offspring is there. It's a very confronting picture. And it is very clear that Abraham, he's not very happy with this. And the language in the, in the text is kind of pulling out for us to say he's actually quite disapproving of what Sarah is saying. He's quite displeased. Because in his mind, this is actually not just. There's an injustice going on. And that injustice is that this kid, Hagar, has rights. He's Abraham's offspring too. But who gets involved in this situation? God does. What does God do? God says, listen to your wife. Send her off. In that moment, we're seeing Abraham who's stirred and he's, he doesn't like what his wife has just told him. She, he doesn't want to listen to her, but then he obeys the voice of God. Friends, this is a big theological argument here in the story of the Bible in that God commands and says to Abraham, do it. Abraham obeys. Humanly speaking, that does not make sense. And you know, in another chapter, we're going to find again when God speaks and asks of Abraham to do something to us, doesn't make sense. God in his moment is involved and he has a great plan, a bigger story. And some of the songs we sang this morning alluded to that. And so Hagar and Ishmael are sent off into the wilderness. They are sent off with just a bit of water to wander around. It's a confronting picture. It's raw and it's real and it's there. Maybe there's a few things going on in your heart going, how is this right? How is this just God? But I want to encourage you to come along with the story because God has a purpose in it. So in this moment, as much as they are sent out, it's a terrible scene. Now, most commentators would argue that this son, Ishmael, was probably around the age of 30. Sorry. And they're wandering around the wilderness. And there's no protection. Now they're out on their own. There's no protection of Abraham and the, the tribe that they're part of. All they have is some water, and it gets to the point the water runs out. There's no water in sight. And so what Hagar does is she takes her son and literally throws him into a bush, meaning that to get him under the cover. And she sits about 90 meters away and waits for something to stop. The picture that is given for us that crying, I would say it's probably the crying and the wailing, not just of Hagar, but also of Ishmael. Someone is dehydrated, 
He's under the bush, he's crying, and his mother is waiting for that crying to stop. Because that will symbolize something. The child would be dead. But yet in this moment, someone does hear the cry. Someone hears the cry and responds. Because someone has already said, God has already said to Abraham, listen, this is also your offspring. And I too will have a plan for this offspring. God actually says to Hagar and responds and says, get up, go get your son. Look, there's some water. And they both live. It is God's gracious hand to a people, to a group of people that God reaches out to as they cry out. And God hears that prayer because God has promised something to Abraham. Because God has already said to Abraham, I will make them a great nation. Because God has a plan. God keeps his promises. And as we see in the story of Abraham, and in the story of Bible particularly, Ishmael would eventually become the father of another great nation. Uh, most people and commentators and historians say this is where the Arab nation comes from. And this is where we're seeing this picture where God has says, yes, you will be a great nation. But this great nation, as you read the Bible and the story of the Bible, and some argue into today, and ultimately says that this people will continue being an annoyance to Abraham. But friends, I don't want you to get caught up in all that stuff if you're interested in those things. Don't miss the point of what God is revealing here. This woman who is a slave woman, this woman who's come out of Egypt, she wants to ensure that this line survives. But she's not, in a sense, showing a picture that she's calling out to God again. God is gracious to both of them. She finds a wife, and this man, Ishmael, settles, and out of him comes a great nation. A nation throughout the Bible will war against Abraham and his seed, and these battles will continue. But what we have here is God is involved in this. God is the one who calls. God is the one who provides, just as he says he would. What we do is when we read these kind of stories, as much as we look at the life of Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar and Sarah, we need to remember, we need to look at what does it reveal about God. That God is the one who keeps his promises. God is the one who will achieve his plans. God is the one who's still involved in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and Ishmael and Hagar. It is actually a picture of a God who's very gracious. But also it's a reminder to you and I, God is the one who sets the agenda. Not you, not me. God is God and we're not. Now if you're reading this and going, well, okay, what, what does that mean for me today? I'm in Kilsite, 3137, 2019. What does Ishmael, what does all these people, what do they have to do with me? I'm glad you asked the question. Maybe you didn't. So this actual story pops its head up again. Do you know where it pops its head up? In the New Testament. Do you know where it pops up its head in the New Testament? In Galatians chapter? Anyone? Four. Well done. So if you have your Bible with you, flick across to Galatians 4 with me. Okay? 
to, as you're turning there, the Apostle Paul just kind of set an agenda. Just as Genesis is written to a certain group of people for a certain people of time, Galatians 2 is written to a certain group of people to, for a certain peop- uh, a time as well. So there's a context going on. Paul is teaching the Galatian church. And the Galatian church were most probably uh, made up majority of people who were not of any Jewish descent. And along came some people who came out of Jewish descent saying, yes, Jesus is awesome, the gospel is good, but he's Jewish. So you need to do the ceremonial law. You need to get circumcised. You know, it's not about grace. We need to add some extra things to it. And so Paul is confronting this church. He calls them out. And he actually uses this story as an example to reveal to them the big story of God. So Galatians 4, 21 and 31 says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. You are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be no more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who were born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now, that itself has a whole kind of sermon on its own, but what I'm trying to do for you guys is to connect the dots. See, the story of the Bible, and maybe some of us have grown up in traditions like this, where we kind of just look at one thing, right? And we go, this is in front of us. We've got to remember that the story starts in Genesis, ends in Revelation, but God has got this one big arching story, and he's connecting all the dots for us. And here in this moment where the Apostle Paul is using something that was so familiar to them. I mean, if you're a Jewish person, I'm from Abraham. I am born of Isaac. And then Paul says, yeah, okay. Let me unpack that for you. Let me turn that upside down a little bit. Because, you know, many of you are now thinking that maybe because we are of Abraham, we need to, to, to keep the law and the systems and let's add to the gospel. And so if you are actually of non-Jewish descent, you need to now do these practices too. And, it, and, and Paul is confronting it. And he's actually now re, re, kind of turning the tables around. And if you were listening to this for the first time or reading it for the first time, what Paul is saying, there would be people going, how dare you? How dare you say that now I am enslaved? How dare you, as a Jewish background person, say that I am of Hagar? Paul, who do you think you are? Paul is doing this deliberately for them, and I think also for us as we read it today. As he turns the tables upside down, and he confronts them to remind them that the promise 
was God's grace. You can't earn salvation. It is God's grace. And he's doing that in this passage as he unravels for the people listening in. He's saying that that seed, that that seed that God spoke of to Abraham, yes, is Isaac, but it was actually going to point to a greater seed. That seed would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This Jesus himself who comes into and is part of the line of Abraham and Isaac, this was God's plan. This was God's gracious gift to a whole world, to a people at the time who were living under this law, that they thought that their holiness and their right standing before a holy God was based on what they do, not on what Christ has done. And if you see in the life of Jesus, he would constantly come face to face with these kind of people. And all the time he was getting in trouble for what? You're breaking the the law, the Sabbath, all these things. And Jesus would constantly say to them, you missed the point. And Jesus dies for them and for us and for the nations. And then on the third day, he's raised again because he is God. (laughs) He's the sinless one. But you know what? It doesn't stop there, friends. You know that line that God says to Abraham, through this seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Do you know, for the nations to be truly be blessed, as we've been seeing even in the story of open doors, these people who are there, they know that for their nation to be blessed, they need to encounter the living God. It is through this Jesus that all the nations are blessed and that in knowing Jesus, they are blessed. That's what God is trying to get at. And Jesus brings this language of a better covenant or a better promise That salvation is not based on what you do, but it's based on what has been done through Christ. So as Paul is speaking to these group of people who think that their ceremonial laws will somehow make them right before God and they need to add to the gospel, Paul is confronting them and saying, you are now actually becoming enslaved again. Turn back. It's a confronting picture, both to them and for us, I think. He's saying, as soon as you add to the gospel, you're becoming enslaved again. In a sense, you're becoming like the slave woman, the son of a slave. It's confronting words, friends. And in this moment, Paul has tried to remind them that anyone who puts their faith in Christ is not going to be based on their heritage anymore. They're now part of this one big family, whether Jew or Gentile. And that's why when we hear stories of open doors and we talk about places like Syria and Iraq, when we hear stories of people being persecuted for their faith, if you know Jesus, that should stir something in you because that's a family member that's been impacted by that. It's not just someone distant. Christ has opened this door for us that we become part of this wonderful blessing because of what he has done. Friends, if you're wondering, again, well, what does that have to do with me today on Monday, Shabu, as I head into work, as I head into school, as I go and look after my kids? It's a reminder to you and I 
that you and I need to be constantly challenged to try to make ourselves stop trying to be a good Christian. I don't know if you've ever had this thought in your head. Maybe you haven't. I do this often. Man, I just need to try harder. (laughs) I just need to try really hard to be good. Uh, Maybe you've done this, and maybe, I don't know, but I've done this for sure. Well, you know, I come from a Christian family. Good stock. I went to a Christian school. You know, year 7 to year 12. I was involved in Christian ministry. Man, I'm a pastor of the church. I've got good standing, I think, before God. I'm sure you don't think those things. You know, in some sense, friends, what I'm trying to get at is what happens and constantly confronts you and I is when we are tempted to add to what God provides out of grace and mercy. We add to the gospel. We add to his good news. And it's very subtle. And throughout the church history, it's been poured out over and over again. Sometimes I hear from church planters uh, cross-culturally, and they talk about how Western church guys come in and they say to them, this is how you run a church service. Basically, like what we do on Sunday mornings. That's wonderful if you've got staff and things like that, if that's your thing. But there's times when they say to me, Shabu, I don't know where that's in the Bible. I'm like, that's a very good question. Because something that's good, they turn into something bad and make it law and say, this is how it's meant to be. Friends, I don't know about you, there are many of us who are tempted to do this, right? Maybe you are actually struggling in your faith. You've had a horrible day. You've had a horrible week. I want you to know that you don't need to keep trying to be better. You need to look to the one who is the better one. The one who is the author and perfecter of your faith. The one who promises that he began a good work in you and will continue it and will finish it. The one who is the perfect one. The one who came and took your place on the cross. The one who is the ultimate seed that God was actually ultimately pointing to the one who is the better promise, the one who now actually brings us great laughter and joy as we look to him even in the hardest of times. Maybe God is calling you just to rest in who he is and what he's done rather than trying harder and harder and harder and harder. And the other thing we need to be reminded of, friends, when we read the stories of Hagar and Ishmael and maybe we might be confronted and going, oh God, this is not fair. Friends, we've got to be reminded we're not God. God determines. And whenever he does what he does, he is still good because he sees the big picture unlike you and I. His very purpose and will is there in front of us. And you know the reason why God spoke to Abraham, and he probably didn't fully understand this, I don't think, when God was speaking this truth to him, that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He probably didn't fully comprehend that. But we are spoiled in that we know what that means now. In Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission says, go to all the nations. 
preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When God says all the nations, he means all the nations. And you know what that means? The true blessing that we have, that we have the great privilege with, is to go and share and love and show this Jesus. Because that's how they will know the wonderful promises that God speaks of in his word. It's fulfilled in Christ. And you know what that means? There are still Abrahams around. There are still Sarahs around. There are still Ishmaels and Hagars around that are still waiting to see that fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus. So friends, as you head into this week, I was wrestling and thinking, what what could I give you and, and consider? You know, can I just say this to you? As a pastor to you, lovingly say to you? Every day of your life, there's going to be constant noise telling you to replace Jesus. And some of them may be even good things. The reason why every New Testament letter constantly starts with grace and peace to you, except for Galatians, I think, it's a reminder to you, I, we still need to hear the gospel. If I asked you today, who is the gospel for? My hope and prayer is that you wouldn't say, oh, it's just for those people. You and I still say the gospel is still irrelevant for me. Because that will cause us to have a humble posture to those who don't know Jesus. Is there something or someone or even a practice that you are grabbing onto that is enslaving you to ultimately make you feel like you're right with God? It might have started with good intention. Now that's become this enslavement. And you think that only if you do this, then I'm okay with God. Friends, if you know Jesus, you are right with God. Not because of you, because of Christ in you. And friends, for those of us who struggle with the thought of God's wrath and judgment, please don't run away from it. Lean into it and explore what God's judgment and wrath means in light of Jesus. God has a reason he's put it in there. Maybe this week you need to ask the question, when I read God's wrath and judgment, do I still think it's good? Do I still think it's loving? The Bible says yes. As we look to Jesus, it's fully poured out on him on your behalf and mine. And maybe you're someone who's struggling in your faith. You're constantly beating yourself, thinking, I'm not good enough. The culture will tell you to look within yourself. I'm here to tell you, don't look within yourself. The Bible says, look away. Look to the one who loves you. Look to the one who died for you. Look to the one who hears your cry. Look to the one who hears your laughter. Look to the one who will give you grace today, tomorrow, the day after, the day after, and after your final breath. If you're exploring the Christian faith, the stories of Ishmael are there to remind you that there is a holy God who's righteous and just. And you may be thinking, this is, how could I worship such a God? You know what, friend? I'm telling you that doesn't make sense until you encounter Jesus. When you get to know Jesus, then only will you realize that he's a good and gracious God. Christians, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? 
When was the last time that you had a good laugh and worshipped him for his promises? That was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. God is always the one who keeps his promises. To see that, look to Jesus. He's fulfilled in him. And if you know him, you're no longer a slave, but you are free. You're his son, his daughter. Not on your merits, but simply because of God's promises and his grace. As the music team comes up, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I come before your throne of grace. What a great privilege it is to know that we are known to you, that you're the God, you will fulfill your promises just as you said. Lord, there are many in our lives that don't know you. We pray as we live for you in this world, as we share the good news of Jesus, help us to share in such a way that it reminds them and lets them see there's nothing in us It's because of what you have done. It's because of you being the God who keeps his promises and fulfills them just as you said that you would. We thank you for Jesus. He's a wonderful picture of the fulfillment of these things. Help us to look to him every day. In your mighty name, amen.